The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Wolf and Bull podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Daremore Media, the Wolf and Bull, or its affiliates. The Wolf and Bull podcast is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast is for expressive listening entertainment. Listener discretion is advised. podcast i am the wolf and with me i have my wonderful absolutely beautiful co-host. a few more adjectives please the bull is in the house <laughs> the bull is here yeah i said you were beautiful that beautiful it's cute yeah. handsome, handsome beautiful <laughs> beauteous magnificent that, how about magnificent i like magnificent leave it at magnificent yeah totally well that's a weird yeah. intro as yeah. per usual uh <laughs> but if you happen to like our content you can find our content at the Wolf and Bull on Instagram. You can also find us on YouTube. Now, just a quick reminder for our viewers and listeners. This episode is brought to you by Americano Ammunition Coffee, serving American patriots the means to defend their freedom one caffeinated caliber at a time. Make sure to visit their website, ammoandcoffee.com, and grab yourself a bag of coffee beans or visit their shop in Queen Creek, Arizona. Mention the Wolf and Bull, and you get a fabulous 25% off your order. So I think it's a pretty awesome deal. Uh, but yeah, we have a really special episode. I think if my calculations are correct, that means for every four coffees you go in there and buy at the same time, you get one free. That's a pretty good... I am unbelievable. It's a pretty good deal. It is a pretty good deal. Uh, But we have another special episode for you. Uh, We've had kind of an interesting lineup of guests, but we have another one with us today. Joining us in the studio is friend of the Wolf Mobile Podcast, Sean, a.k.a. The Stingray. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. Of course. The Stingray. I like that. Oh, Mm -hmm. it's a really good one. I was going to be like Scorpion, but no, Stingray's good. Stingray 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 is good. good. You just got to... Keep clear of a stingray when they're mad, though. Someone's got to represent the ocean. That, that's there true. You go. We yeah. haven't had anyone do that yet. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I could, I mean, bull is, you know, you could, I could be a no. shark. No, you're <laughs> fine. You, oh, your picture you is behind you. Oh, damn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So how's everybody doing? Good? I'm doing great. Doing good. Yeah. good I'm, I'm, I'm finally, like, coming out of my last uh, version of the plague mm. from mm. a couple weeks ago. So I'm mm. feeling good. Feeling ninety something percent. <laughs> that's that's, that's about as good as most of us. That's bulls great. Get. Yeah, that's great. Stringer, Stingray, what about you? I'm feeling great. Yep. Yeah. Had awesome. a good morning. Went to Cars and Coffee first thing this morning, which I love to do. Nice. Very nice. What is so that? that? Was a lot of fun. Oh, they're all over the county, so you can just kind of pick one where you want to go. But they have one over at uh, local church here. Uh, they have it every second Saturday of the month, so I usually go. It's pretty yeah. fun. Cars and Very Coffee, cool. but just car meetups. Not it's not organized. It's just like come a semi club kind of thing. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not really a club because it's not organized at all. It's just come, park your car, hang out, talk car stuff with a bunch of car guys. And you would consider cool. yourself a big car guy. I do. Okay. I do. Since I was a little kid. So what, I, I would love to dive into that you know, briefly. <laughs> okay. So what what got you into what got you into it? Uh, my dad. Yeah. My dad used to take me to all the car shows when I was just a little kid and he always dreamed about having a Corvette like a 1950, 55, 60 Corvette and um, I just kind of fell in love with the whole scene, you know, so later on when I first, when I was growing up, my first car was a 1992 Nissan hard body. My dad lowered it for me. We put some McLean wire wheels on it, put all the music in there and it was awesome. That's I was cool, 16 man. driving around. It was incredible. That's really that cool. That is nice. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun. Nice. Well, what is the big, there's, uh, 
There's a car auction in Arizona that's world famous. I can't mm, remember. Bear Jackson. Thank you. Bear Jackson. Thank you. And that's still going strong, I would imagine. And, but yeah. that's, that's over on the north side of Scottsdale most of the time, if I remember correctly. It is. Yeah, yeah it's a great turnout. Some of the best <clears throat> cars in the world end up at Bear Jackson. Yeah. Hey, I, I is this a been, soft invite? Are we all going to Bear Jackson? Let's go. It's just so, right it just ended. Oh, damn. damn I it. know. It just. There's enough going on right now in this whole area with the Super Bowl and uh, like waste uh, management yeah. tournament and everything else going on. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Crazyville right now. I'm kind of happy we're it, away. I, I got I to tell you, the 1972 <laughs> um, Plymouth Satellite. Okay. Yeah. A, a kind of a brown, kind of flex, uh, flecked mix color in it. Mm-hmm. I loved that car. Big back loved, seat. Oh, uh, well, I wasn't going to go there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to say, uh, 1995, 325 IC mm. BMW. There we go. Absolute POS. Yeah, it was great. It was a good looking car, except for the yeah. fact you had the I broke window, window problem yeah, in the yeah. back, if so, I remember right. <laughs> so this is when I was really young, and we'll, we'll jump into the monologue after this, but this is a quick story. This is when I was really, really young. My first car was a 325 IC BMW, which uh, was... Probably a little bit too expensive for Pretty me. Pretty nice for a first car, by the way. Yeah. yeah. At least the name. I mean, it was right? manual. That was the positive for me, is I could drive a car that I could accurately control. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, somewhere along the line, the plastic window in the back decided to break. And I looked at the price, and at 19 years old, 20 years old, $900 for a window was a little mm. too much. So I drove mm. around with no back window for a long time it's yeah. kind of funny i remember that because that was about the time you started uh, dating my daughter oh. it was and yeah. uh i remember you putting that out front and in the rainy season you had uh, like towels that you put on the back of it so that it would get <laughs> yeah started. yeah everyone starts nice. somewhere was there any I, duct tape involved in that other was oh, yeah. and then That's, it didn't work too well yeah. so great i just equalizer gave up duct tape yeah. what's that the great equalizer duct tape mm-hmm. yeah just, yeah san diego thankfully isn't the most rainy place so i kind of got away with <clears throat> so that was your first car what was your first car it was that 1992 nissan Hardbody. that's right yeah that's right yeah that was my first Mine, car 1968 VW. Oh, okay. Yellow rust bucket. Oh, yeah. Love that car. Yeah. Love that car. Nah, not a good. The air conditioning would come right up from the wheel outside. well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, no, uh, eventually I would love to be able to upgrade to a, uh, a GTR, an old mm. one, though. Like an old, like. Those are awesome cars. Maybe like a, was it, R34, 90 something. Yeah, those are mm. cool, but they're, they're not legal yet, are they? I. I don't think they're legal. I don't know. I don't think there's they're legal in the United States. But yeah, should I jump in the monologue? I think you should. Okay. Now, for our listeners, this episode is it's gonna be an interesting one. Uh, it it's is not, not about cars. Not about cars. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, yeah. I think it's one worth listening to. Whether you agree with the premise of the title or the description, I do think it's worth listening to just because it affects most of us and it ties to so many other things in society. So, without ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the monologue. In the heart of America, where once the roar of hymns filled the air, now only echoes remain. The decline in belief of theology has been gradual, a slow unraveling of the fabric of faith that had once woven the nation together. It began with the arrival of new ideas, scientific discoveries that challenged the age-old explanations for the mysteries of the universe. For some, these revelations only strengthened their beliefs, but for others, it was the beginning of a journey down a path of doubt. As the years passed, more and more people found themselves questioning the teachings that they had been raised on, searching for answers that could withstand the light of reason. The once mighty churches, their pews filled with devoted worshipers, now stood empty and silent, their steeples pointing to a sky that seemed to have lost its divine glow. But the decline on behalf of the church was not just a loss of faith, it was loss of hope, of purpose, of meaning. 
It was a void that could not be filled by the emptiness of a secular life, and for some, it was despair that consumed them completely. I have my criticisms of theology. There are many to be sure. We've all had our own struggles with belief in a creator, in our leaders, and in ourselves. Many may cover up this revelation internally by staunchly admitting they've never believed in anything. That may be true. I don't agree, though. I think many confuse what they believe to be nihilism or the paradoxical ideology of a belief in nothing with general pessimism towards major religion. Religion that often seems unwelcoming, judgmental, or scientifically contrarian. Now, over the last 10 years or so, there's been a growing decline in many important facets of our society. Politics, religion, and education all seemingly replaced by flimsy replicas of once strong pillars. Now, evolution comes in many forms, and in my opinion, it applies to many areas of life. One constant that I've found, though, is that often, evolutionary change favors a need for survival. When it comes to American society, we're currently evolving. The pillars that many once thought to be unshakable are being tested. In this episode, we've decided to bring on a friend of the show, Sean, a.k.a. The Stingray, to discuss the current state of Christianity in America, the blending of Eastern ideology with American theology, and to discuss his perspective on what could be the root cause of many of these changes. Very nicely done. Very nicely. Yeah. And, and a, a broad topic. It is a very broad discussion. topic. I think, I think you're absolutely right to... to you know, share with the listeners that it's an important topic, whether you agree with a lot of the premise or not. Yeah, for sure. I think so. Yeah, yeah. it's a it, well. I think the biggest thing for me as a as a almost thirty one year old uh, individual, such an old dude. I know I'm getting yeah. old. Yeah. Um, it, it's <laughs> it's not necessarily for me about whether or not people adopt something like Christianity or some other theology. It's what are they replacing that space with. And I think that's a big question that I have. I, I think that kind of is the underpinning premise that I look at when we talk about this type of subject is that the human experience, you know, is full of a lot of things. There's a lot of logic. There's a lot of emotion that goes on in your day-to-day -day life. And, and I think if people reflect on themselves and, and look internally, there's usually some piece of the puzzle that's missing. In the, and in the past, especially... You know, based on your monologue here, the thing that tended to fill that the most was some type of belief or faith system, a mm -hmm. belief system or leap of faith. And if you, if you in today's society start looking at those belief systems and you say, I'm going to put those off, I'm not going to, I'm going to refuse to involve myself with that, then you leave yourself a hole that must be filled. It's a vacuum that has to be filled. And the question mm -hmm. is, what does it get filled with? Yeah. That's where that's where I really have a lot of struggles. I think this is something you and I agree on because it's it's that's my difficulty. You know, I've had a background in the church for a while. Uh, I know you've had some growing up. Uh, you know, Stingray, could you give our listeners a little bit of background from where mm -hmm. you're coming from, your experience, and uh, you know, if you want to, how mm -hmm. that all came to be? Yeah, of course. So I grew up in San Diego. I know you guys are all from California as well. I grew up in an area called East San Diego, or known as City Heights. Uh, in, a, in that area, uh, growing up there, it was really overrun with gang activity. And so for myself and, and also my brother, we were surrounded by just all these different cultures and ethnicities, and all of them seemed to have kind of their own, their own gang, right? You had 
blacks that had their gangs. You had the Mexicans that had their gangs. You had all Asians, Cambodians, and the list just goes on and on. They all had their own gangs. But here my brother and I were, who was a minority um, in this area that we grew up, and we're kind of wondering, well, where are we supposed to be a part of? And, you know, what are we supposed to be? Um, who are we supposed to hang out with? Because there's just so much different cultures out there that had something that we didn't have. And I just remember being 10, 11, 12, even up to 13 years old. I was into skateboarding and surfing and everything just changed in, in middle school where, you know, people were getting jumped and beat up and uh, at gunpoint their shoes were being taken their coat their you know their starter jackets if you were into sports and all that stuff and i just remember being terrified walking back and forth from home to school and uh and i just thought i need to be a part of something i need to be a part of one of these gangs or you know and so i ended up becoming friends with one of the main guys at my school who was a crip and uh, we started hanging out and one thing led to another, and next thing I know, I was I was getting involved in that particular gang. So from about 13 years old until I was, you know, fast forward until I was about 22 years old, I was in uh, an all-black gang, and I was the only white guy in this all-black gang in San Diego. Um, arrested multiple times, in and out of jail, short-term stuff, just county stuff, thankfully. Yeah. And because, uh, you know, when you get to prison, things change pretty quick. You know, you got to kind of click up with your own race. So it had been pretty difficult to be uh, in prison with that, with my situation being from a, from a black gang. So, but fast forward to 22 years old, that's when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And that's when my life completely changed. I stopped, uh, you know, drinking, hanging out, uh, stopped doing drugs. And of course, you know, uh, girls were a big part of that gang life. And so I stopped sleeping around and uh, my life just radically changed from there. And I just remember the kind of like the light bulb went on. So like, say, did you have like an epiphany one day or did you have a series of events that kind of. Yeah, good question. Well, I was raised in a Christian home. And, and mm-hmm. so I, I had this this foundation of Christianity, but I didn't really understand it as a young kid. I just remember this childlike faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when the gang stuff kicked in, it was just all that stuff. I started questioning like, well, why, why would anyone want to believe in God? You know, I can't see him. I can't hear him and, and all this stuff. And. And so the gang thing is what I turned to, but I, I just recall having this moment. I was in this, this just dr- drugs were everywhere in this apartment. It was just as co- there's cockroaches everywhere. It's just this disgusting place uh, where we used to sell drugs out of and hang out. And I remember my girlfriend was there and I just turned to her and I said, do you want to go to church tomorrow? Mm. And, and I had been to church since I was, I don't know, 13 years old. And she looked at me like I was crazy because, of course, we were doing drugs and drinking that night. And uh, it was a pretty crazy statement to come out of my mouth, but that's what I said. And she looked at me. She goes, um, "Okay, well, I don't know why you're asking me that, but sure. So we got up the following morning from all of that that night before and went to the church that my parents went to because that's the only one I knew about. Right. So I ended up at Horizon Christian Fellowship down in Claremont in San Diego. And I was sitting there and it. <laughs> Just happened to be that the Chargers were playing the Raiders that day. So the pastor that was speaking that day kind of picked up on this whole uh, Chargers are playing. And of course, I was way into football. And I love, I, of course, living in San Diego. I love the Chargers. Of course, being in the gang stuff, Raiders kind of played a big role in that as well. And so, but he just pulled all this stuff out of the Bible and, and kind of correlated it with the Raiders playing the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Kind of this David and Goliath kind of story. And I just remember sitting there and it was just making sense to me for the very first time. And then he wrapped it up at the end with the gospel. And I just remember sitting there in, in the seats there, and I just started weeping. 
Um, because I, I knew in that moment my life was being changed and I had no control over it. It was just happening right from our very own eyes. And then he, he did, you know, what most churches do nowadays is kind of quote unquote, the sinner's prayer, whether or not you agree with that or not. At the end of the day, that was, that was it for me. And it was, it was more of the, the inward change that was happening more than just this, the sinner's prayer, mm-hmm. right? It was, it was an, it was an inward change and it was supernatural. And he said, well, whoever has said this prayer, uh, raise your hand. So here I'm in like Chuck Taylors, blue Chuck Taylors, blue Dickies, blue Ben Davis shirt. You know, my head was shaved, you know, much like the bull over here. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of gangster over there, bull. Yeah, gangster day. And I raised my hand and again, I'm still crying. And it's a pretty big church. Yeah. And then he said, well, I'm going to make, uh, ask you to do another, one more step. I want you to stand up. And I remember standing up and look and looking around a little bit, and there was other people that stood up as well, maybe ten to twelve other people. Mm-hmm. He said, "Well, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. I want you to come forward." And so I, I came forward and was standing there looking at this pastor, and he's looking down at me. And all these people were up there at the front of the stage now, and he looks at me and says, "I'm going to meet with you in the back." I said, "Okay." And so he asked me to come around to the back. He asked everybody, and they all went back to this room. But he specifically came off the stage and came to talk to me. And just sat down and he says, hey, tell me your story. Because he could tell I was just beat up, mm-hmm. you know. And so that was it for me. That was the day everything changed. And I never went back. Now, it doesn't mean wow. I never went back to the hood. Because I can still go back to the hood. And I do that right. sometimes. And I still like to go and, and hang out with, with some of my guys out there. Um, and uh, But it's different now. You know, it's totally different. But I still can go down and have respect yeah. on, in certain certain areas in San Diego. So, yeah. That's cool. Wow. Yeah, That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, That's thank you for sharing testimony. that. Seriously, yeah. That's awesome. I was going to talk about mine, but I, I don't. I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No. I, I. I. That's that's incredible. It really is. Um, and from the last conversations we've had with some of our guests, it's really clicked with me some of the impacts that emotional and and, and specifically like instances like that that have had on people. And I think that in today's society especially that is disregarded in a lot of ways well, um, I, I think that a lot of people push these emotional episodes into into different places mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and it's kind of what i was saying a few minutes ago mm-hmm. you know just listen to your testimony tells me right away there was a big gap yeah. mm-hmm. there was a hole in you mm-hmm. now lucky you came from a family that gave you something that clicked in your head to say, let me go back to this foundational element and get yeah. myself to a church where mm-hmm. I can hear something that's possibly going to change me. Mm-hmm. Whether you knew you were saying that to yourself or not, you did. Right. And, uh, but, but people, I, I mean, I can't, you know, my, my dad was a sociologist most of his mm-hmm. life, taught it and practiced it, et cetera. And he talks about all kinds of clients that would come in with one problem or another. A lot of, a lot of them were, were, you know, something you'd take right out of the, the psychology books and say, oh, this person has multiple personalities. or all. So there's a huge spread. Mm-hmm. But the commonality of all the stuff he has always talked about was there's something missing for these people. Mm-hmm. Always, always and forever. Whether it's hanging on to baggage that they had all their life, that they had a, a, a gang affiliation or they went to jail or they had, you know, abuse in their family or mm-hmm. all these other things that could possibly happen. And... I really, truly believe that it is our part of our human nature to fill that void. Mm -hmm. And people will fill it with some of the most evil stuff in the world Mm -hmm. and some of the best stuff in the Mm -hmm. world. 
And if they don't know where to go, mm-hmm. they're just going to continually make that void bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I mean, and this is kind of like, this is going to, this is why I think this conversation is going to be interesting because I don't think that, <clears throat> and I'm broad stroking, so forgive me, but I, I don't think that a lot of people who might be totally against some form of theology or belief accurately weigh that without having something to your point, they're filling it with something. Obviously, the last few mm-hmm. years, not to get political, but unfortunately, last few years has been well, filling it with science. Well, that's that's um, a different religion now, isn't it? Unfortunately, cult religion, fi- whatever you want to talk about, yeah. we could go down that road. But and they're filling it with with meism. Yeah, I think I I was out to breakfast the other day, and there was a, a girl that our server she was serving us, and I looked at her arm. She has a tattoo. I have tattoos, and so I was interested in what what it was because it looked like some very interesting letters. It turned out to be Roman. And because I asked her, I said, what does that say? What does that mean? She goes, it's, it, it means that I am greater than myself. And, and I, and I thought to myself and I said, well, what does that mean? She says, well, a lot of people have like, he is greater than I. Mm-hmm. Right. And then she goes, but I'm not a religious person. But what she turned to was an inward, uh, like, like anthropocentric me centered perspective. Yeah. Like I'm greater than myself and it doesn't even make sense, mm-hmm. but because she doesn't have, religion she's turning to i can basically i can conquer anything i want to conquer because it's all about me right i thought that was just such an interesting perspective on life and i think a lot of people are turning to themselves Mm -hmm. right i i think that people fool themselves all the time into creating a a a mask that they say they don't believe in anything Mm -hmm. you do Mm -hmm. you either believe in something outside of yourself or yourself Right. And I, I would I would venture a guess that if, if your belief is so much in yourself that you have no other belief system, then you believe you're God. Yeah. And that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. That's Which, a big mistake. Well, it's a, it's a mistake because it's 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 a very provable, objectable, objective lie. That, mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah. what you're yeah. what you're saying. It's about mm-hmm. meism. Well, especially yeah. today. I mean, it's especially with particularly my generation and the mm-hmm. generation after us. I mean, we've talked about multiple times in the show, the narcissism epidemic. Well, it's kind of nice because we've got yeah. three generations sitting here too. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the end of the boomers. You're I'm, I'll be 47 X. on the 25th. So that's, is that X? I don't remember X. the difference. It's X. Is it X? X? I think so. Cause I'm, I'm at the end of the millennial, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Millennial is like early eighties. And there are, are verifiable differences in kind of the group think aspects of those different generations mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons, but there are underpinning uh, pillars of truth mm-hmm. that run through all of them. Yeah. Whether each generation believes it or not, they're there. And sometimes it just takes more personal history to discover that they're actually there. Yeah. So Stingray, based off your involvement and your personal experience, have you noticed any significant changes? Like anything that, like when it comes to church attendance or the dynamics within? Yeah. Well, I think even what I was saying earlier about this, this inward anthropocentric perspective on life in general has really crept into the church. I mean, it's, I think it's really changed the way we do church. Um, you know, even the worship, a lot of the time is 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 directed towards me, not so much directed towards you know this this awe and um, majestic look towards God and Him being the central figure. It kind of feels like me as an individual is now the central figure a lot of the times in worship. So, 
I, I think it, it does transcend into the church in a lot of ways. I think that the church has really turned to, you know, carnal means, right, to attract people into the church because it's how can I better serve them almost from an entertainment perspective, mm. right? So then it's all about me again. It's all about what kind of games and things do you have for my kids and at all ages and levels? Um, how can we create this incredible, uh, amazing worship set that's much like a concert that is usually you would attend once a year, but now the church is recreating that once a week. Yeah. And, and budgetarily, if you look at most budgets of larger churches, the largest budget goes towards production. Mm. And, and so, and I'll just throw the, this, the big word out there is discipleship, right? There's just a lack of discipleship in that whole paradigm. There's not very many churches doing that anymore. It's just about how do I attract people to get here? So it's a numbers game is what you're saying. It's a total numbers game. And, and you know, from a, from really a business standpoint, I, I kind of understand that in a way. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. would imagine that, that, you know, the groups that get together and, and you might've been a part of these kind of things, but there are, there are conferences all the time with different uh, theological groups that come together and they kind of decide, Hey, where do you think we should go with our set of churches? Yeah, is our is it a, a bring everybody in, or do we have more strict uh, ramifications about what you must do and what you mm-hmm. must not do? Things. Yeah, I, it's a hard thing to go through to try to decide because you want. I mean, the goal is growth. Well, not not just that, but if the underpinning goal of any church supposedly, mm-hmm. right, supposedly is to bring them to a, an understanding and a belief in a faith in mm-hmm. their God. Yeah. And, but maybe that's getting lost in the fray with this idea that these, these churches are becoming these structures that have to be continually grown and paid for. Well, I think you can have both. <clears throat> I think you can have two forms of growth in the church, growth in numbers, but then also growth in theology, growth in your, your spiritual growth, according to scripture. But I think the the trend is more toward growth in numbers than it is how do we grow somebody from like a babe in Christ to a more mature believer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's more, you know, it's about the whole new here, start here experience, right? From the front door of a church, it's wide open, which is a, can be a good thing. But they're trying to draw all these people in, and we're catering just to the just to new people all the time. And that's what's really being highlighted in most of these large churches is just how, mu- how many how many new people did we have last week, not how many people have we graduated from our discipleship process here at our church. That's never talked about. But, but isn't me. that open door policy to try to create a larger uh, starting funnel for those other programs? Isn't that really the idea of that? I wish it. I wish that were true. But again, if you go and, and attend a lot of the churches even here in the valley that we live at, and you walk in and, and you ask them, well, what does your discipleship process look like? Most of them don't have one. Mm. It's more about assimilation. It's more about you know a new here, start here, but there's hardly ever a then here, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? It's get them in the door, and then the then here is just attending weekly. Right. The the more often you get people to attend, the more um, frequent they'll give. Mm-hmm. Which we know all these numbers and statistics. Trust me, I've been in plenty of meetings to understand this. Yeah. And so you got to get them to stick. 
Well, the way you get most of the people who are new to stick is to assimilate them through a process, not through discipleship, but to get them through a class where they sign up to serve. Because once they start to serve, then they're a little bit more sticky and they'll stay. Mm. Once they're sticky and they stay, then they start to pay. Yeah. Right. Which is also free, no Which, offense, labor in a lot of ways. True. Well, yeah, and, there are well, a lot of, yeah, big time. And that can be a form of growth. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah. That can be a form of growth. And I understand that. But when you look at the, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 through 20, it's very clear what Jesus said to his disciples. As he spent you know, three years with them in his public ministry, he was there, he, he, he uh, did everything with them. Now, if God himself who came down in the form of man spent three years in his uh, form of discipleship to train up and equip those individuals to go and change the world, he took three years to do that. He could have done it shorter, but nonetheless, he did it in three years. And he says, now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but then he goes on to say, teaching them all the things that I have taught you. Mm-hmm. He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. And so Jesus says, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and, and create you know, an assimilation process to get people into the door. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it's, a bi- it's a big shift in thinking. Um, and I was always the voice in a lot of meetings of, well, I understand that we're doing all these great, wonderful things as far as some of these assimilation processes. But what about discipleship? How are really, really going to making disciples uh, so they can go out and change the world? And I don't really see that too much right now. Yeah, uh, and I, I know you and I have talked about this a few times, but I, I you know, grew up in the church, but I was also part of the worship team for five or six years. Mm-hmm. And I can affirm that at least with the particular group that I was with, it wasn't happening there. Mm-hmm. And the great people, wonderful people, nothing against them. But I had multiple times consistent questions like, well, what are we doing to go out into the public? Yeah. Like, like we, like I, I, I love playing music, love sounding like Hillsong United or, you know, uh, Bethel, even though they've had some interesting <laughs> problems lately. Um, as you know, I would assume institutions and structures would, if they weren't developing and becoming mm-hmm. stagnant. Um, and that's my experience when it comes, when it comes to, you know, attending church, even though the last year or so hasn't been very regular. Um, it is very much the same type of like cut copy, we're yep. going to say kind of the similar things. Mm-hmm. And then if you ever attempt to question with some difficult discussion topics, you're kind of relegated. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a difficult subject to, to kind of wrap your brain around though, because from, from there, there's two things that kind of counter counter each other in my head when talking about this subject, the way you just have is that number one, the churches, especially the large ones, which we'll talk about later, have become such businesses yeah. that there's a certain cycle, a certain baseline cycle of revenue and turnover and getting people in the new, as you said, mm-hmm. new and what? New, you said new and in or something like that. With oh, new here, start here. New here, start. Yeah, new here, start. That, that idea, <clears throat> because you have to keep it going. You mm-hmm. have to keep it going, yeah. and, and there's a cost involved with that, and all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But the the other side of that is that it, it's there's a, a loss of true mission mm-hmm. that's going on, and it, you know that that kind of remind it kind of reminds me of going from a I hate to say it this way, but going from a private company to a public company mm-hmm. in the business world, a private company. It, it, you know, they, they want revenue flow. They want to make dollars, all those kinds of things. 
but they also have an internal mission that they don't have to derivate from because they don't have this constituency that's buying into them to force them to look at something on a quarterly basis to say, what have you done for me lately? What's your pipeline look at? like? Because that's what you're talking about when you're talking about opening those doors and bringing people in. How big is your pipeline? How, how do you rank against these other churches? Yeah. How do you pull people either away, especially in an environment in the United States in particular, where there's a decreasing number of people that want to go into four walls yeah. and do their, their faith? And I'm, I'm, of a per, I'm a person that believes that your faith is not based on the four walls you go and visit once I agree. a week. I agree. At all. Yep. And, <laughs> excuse me. Dear God. I thought I was going to avoid doing <laughs> that, but I didn't. Um, but having said that, I understand the reason for it. Yeah. But even for somebody like me, a, a baby boomer, I find it less important to go than it is to have a, a an understanding of the relationship that I'm continuing to evolve and develop without those four walls. Mm. So how do you cross that unless you can entertain yeah, because I look at these big churches as, I mean, I I, I listen to Andy Stanley all the time. Yeah, he's great. I, I I love the way he configures things because I think you hit a, a key note a minute ago about how how a lot of these people talk to the individuals in the crowd and, and make them the central focus of their of their preaching. Yeah, but I kind of understand it because it's mm-hmm. it's like. They've evolved into this self-help thing and saying, hey, your real help is here, Mm -hmm. but you're what I'm focused on over here. Instead of saying, hey, this is here for you, my job is just to give you a pathway to it. And I I don't know the answer to that. I'm going off in a million different directions. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Darn. Well, I think that for me, I think the biggest thing that I struggle with obviously because everyone everyone in the church is human the leaderships are the leadership's human uh, the attendance is human everyone there is a lot more similar than they are different and the biggest thing that i see is there has been this tendency to compartmentalize what people at least from my perspective what people to be believe to be a supernatural entity or a god or however you may couch it because obviously i want to keep this this discussion is about the American church and the predominant theology here right now is Christianity, but theology in general also, in my opinion, ties very strongly with community. And in the last 10 years, the, and we've discussed this, the rate of loneliness and depression and all those things have increased. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, people who are quote unquote unaffiliated claim that they have no desire to believe or seek something but they, or be a they part of something. Community. No, they don't. Well, they that's, say that. that. That's what I'm saying. And so they're not being truthful. Off, well, that's that's my my maybe my speculation. But I do think that when you have a power structure, whether it be political or educational or theological, that is intent more on keeping the status quo as opposed to developing the minds and the people a part of it, not through necessarily self help self help, but more through self reflection. I think that that's when things start to get healthy again. And I've very rarely have I felt that when I go into a church it's, and maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just my personal experience, but it's very much a condensed. This is how we see God. This is God's perspective. And let's not deviate from see, questions I, that are difficult. I find it very attractive to, to attractive to listen to people that will storytell 
and bring into that biblical um, uh, doctrine or stories or anecdotes, it doesn't matter, that, that I know that I can apply to my daily life or my own personal community. I find that very attractive method to listen and absorb. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I've heard it a million times. Everybody says, I don't want to go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. And I, I think it's an old Zig Ziglar saying is like, come down, join us. We're all hypocrites down here. You know, mm-hmm. it's in, in, I think your point about people that are at church, they're all more similar than they are different. Yeah. And it's, it's not like people on the outside that are unaffiliated or it's it's not like the people that are going to that church are really any different than you are. No. They've decided to take a little step and decide to do something a little different. Well, that's why I find it kind of funny because the last, especially the last at least 10 years of my life, I've noticed this, this and there's always been criticism of theology. It's not like it hasn't existed. Sure. Um, but the last 10 years, there's been like a, almost like a, um, a hypercriticism to the point of people thinking that those involved are not intellectually comp- competent or aware or that they can be tied into something like I personally have the belief of, you know, in, in a creator and Jesus Christ and God, you know, Jesus came down and died on the cross for our sins. I believe that mm-hmm. I also believe that God created the universe and all the laws within it and all the laws we have yet to discover or may never discover. Mm-hmm. And so I think they can be, I think it was, um, what was his name? Thomas Aquinas, who Aquinas, yeah. who would who would tie both those together, and it, it I believe they can coexist. And my biggest thing when it comes to today's society is there's this disregard of something that has for decades, if not centuries, been a very important part of the human experience. And that's not necessarily specifically religion, but a belief in something greater than oneself. And if we don't have that. The replacement can't possibly be us because we we did World War One and World War Two. <laughs> like, so, We've done a lot. I mean, it's very clearly humans are are very uh, problematic, depraved, depraved, very, uh, yeah, hedonistic too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I don't know. It's just it seems. And here's the thing: is, is is talking with you guys and talking with people who are older than me. It it's not like those things just started yesterday. It's not like like you know uh, ritualistic nonsense or or um, you know sexual nonsense or or perversion or dysfunction have not been around. Yeah. So, what is it exactly? In my, in my question is what is it exactly that with these last two generations has been so effective at deterring? I, I'd like to hear what what the stingray says about this. Yeah, yeah I've got my ideas on it as well, mm-hmm. and I have an idea <laughs> on everything, of course. But but you've been way more deeply involved in the in the church settings, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and at the same time, especially listening to your testimony, you've you've had the pendulum swing way further than either of us two in the room. We've all mm-hmm. had our own personal issues, but yeah. you've had it swing all the way. Mm-hmm. So your perspective has got to be pretty yeah. pretty sharp. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at, for example, the way the United States was brought forth or were colonized you had philadelphia right philadelphia was one of the main states that people would want to come over uh from europe and 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 colonize there because it was the one state that was very very religious the freedom of religion you could go there it comes from the you know greek great phileo right Um, city of brotherly love and yet you look at philadelphia 
And where are they at in comparison to all the other states in the United States? They're not in any greater place than we are mm. in Arizona or California spiritually. Um, so when you look at that, we gotta, it begs the question, well, how well has the church been doing? If that was the one place where people came because they really felt that was the one area where they could come and, and practice their freedom of religion, Christianity being one of the primary ones, it's not any different there than it is here. And so it, when we ask the question, well, how well is the church doing? I don't think they're doing a really good job. And I understand the humanity perspective, we're all human, but I think it's something that the bull hit on earlier was, and I, you did as well, Wolf. <laughs> I was going to say Cam. <laughs> they're on to um, us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is the community, like what, what impact is the local church having on the community? And, it, you know, because you, when you look at the community, the community is is messed up all around. Um, and I don't know about for you guys, what, what continues to just kind of echo in in my own heart all the time is, is human trafficking mm-hmm. and uh, child trafficking. I think it's a major, major issue, but I don't think there's really any church that I know as of right now or churches that are actually trying to rally with each other to combat those that type of evil mm. and, and really going out and rescuing people from those situations. I don't know of an organization. I know in and out has something that you can donate as you go through the drive through for human trafficking. I think that's wonderful, but what's the local church really doing for the community? That's going to have a huge impact and combat the evil that's out there. And there's so many issues we could bring up. It's not just human yeah, trafficking, yeah, yeah. but there's a lot, but well, that's but, a big one in Arizona specifically. It's, it's a huge yeah. one. And it was one in San Diego as well. Cause mm-hmm. we border Mexico and you know, I've talked to enough Navy seals and others and in law enforcement down there where there's a, one of the most huge issue on the border there with human trafficking, just over the border. They're all over that South area. And, but there's, there's not an effort from the local church to go and help and to do anything or to raise money or support to combat these types of things. And it's, it, it's bothersome. That, you know, it's like, uh, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's like, uh, I mean, it, it shouldn't be a secret, but right. it, it's, it's like, it's this not entirely ignored, but somehow differentiated element. You know, I, uh, there are a lot of great Christian and, other theological organizations that do a lot of great things around the world. They certainly do. You know, yeah. and, and, but most of them are focused on other places in the world, mm-hmm. frankly, mm-hmm. which is an interesting subject as well, how, yeah. how much time the U.S. contingent of Christian groups spend mm-hmm. in India and all of, Not that they don't need it. They certainly sure. do. Yeah. But it's all about planting churches, mm-hmm. mostly. Yeah. Um, now, I, I do know one group we ran into, I'm, I'm trying to remember... Something about rivers that they they would go into villages, and this is in uh, Indonesia somewhere. They would go into these villages, and half of the young women in those villages would be gone because their families would actually sell them right to just survive. Mm-hmm. And so they're going in and in planting churches and in developing an understanding with these people and helping them grow things and do things differently. Yeah. So that they don't they don't have to get into those situations. And, and that's a perfect example of having a, a church initiative mm-hmm. to go into those communities with some of the major issues that those communities face. Mm-hmm. And I think that's huge. I mean, it, we could we we have a church in our backyard right here, right? Yeah. yeah. Big big mega church. But I have no clue of what their outward mission is at all. 
I, I don't know. Um, I know some of the guys over there, I've sat down and had conversations with them, but there's, as far as I know, there's not a, a real outward uh, mission there. Um, and I, I'm painting kind of a broad brush over that. Sure, Don't sure. get me wrong. There, yeah. There's there's a lot of churches out there doing a lot of amazing things. Um, but for the most part, these copy, you know, cookie cutter kind of churches, copy and paste, copy and paste yeah. churches, they're all just very similar, but there's no real mission in the community as far as what I'm noticing. And so therefore, there's not much change in the community. And the the the, the community that we see continues to go on a decline, mm-hmm. I think, because of it, because the church is just not having much of an impact yeah. uh, locally. Well, I think that that really comes down to, uh, one, I mean, an accurate understanding of purpose. Uh, I mean, sp- I mean that, and that can be said about anything. I mean, the, the thing that always gets me, and we talk about politics a lot in the show, and we're not a political podcast, but we do talk about like mm-hmm. culture and society. And the thing that always gets me is people are always focusing on the, the, the places in politics that don't matter. They, mm-hmm. like, who, president d- doesn't matter. It's not an important, it's important, but it's not that important. And they continue to, in a lot of ways, forego their immediate surrounding thinking that the effects of something that happens nationally in a very large country, by the way, will somehow impact their day to day. And that's not the case. And I feel like well, there's I, something similar I, when it comes see, to I the dis- church as well. I, I kind of disagree with you a little bit on this. Not that they're there's a, a level of importance, a certain hierarchy, and I think local sure. politics, state politics is much more important than national mm-hmm. in terms of our day-to-day, normal, going about our lives kind of thing. But it seems to me, and you talked about the last decade, it's maybe a little further than this, but there's, and this, this will tie into the church thing we're talking about, but there's been this continual um, bridge being created to try to mandate that we look to our federal government as our main mm. source of i don't know babysitting uh, in part in part and and then it comes back the other way with i mean the last couple of years is a perfect example of that with all the mandates that we can talk about well i think that but the the in, the tie into this church thing just to, real quickly is in and you brought up some really good subjects with the with the uh, trafficking and such like that. But I I think that part of the problem is that that the, if we looked at the church as whole in the United States, there's a war going on against a new religion, and that new religion is based on the people. And you brought it up earlier. There's this there's this idea somehow that those of us that have a belief system that forces one to take a leap of faith because you can't see or hear. Right, mm-hmm. so it it's it's not empirically able to be proven. There's always mm-hmm. a leap that has to be taken. So somehow or another, the people that take that leap are are some less logical. They're less scientific. Right. They're you know the the others, the, the deplorables, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so who says that kind of stuff? The people that say that kind of stuff are the elite, scientific generated people that are in power which is then parroted down through the quote-unquote ranks and i mean and that's why i kind of i struggle with this because look i i wouldn't profess to be an ultra religious person i mean there was a point in my time mm-hmm. where I, I was and mm-hmm. I, there is a value there and i would like to cultivate that more with that being said like even when i was in the church i never really considered myself any different than someone who didn't believe at all and the reason i say that is because we're all human. We all have our 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 issues. But that's issues your perspective, here. and I'm seeing well, no. I know. So, um, yeah. So, so my point being is to finalize my point is that with your 
you know, saying that it's kind of being trickled down. The same could be said about something like strange entanglement, right? Like it, like it, that, that was something that was very difficult to prove. And we just recently in the last few years have actually proved it. But it's the, the thing that I have is like, okay, well, if you are, if you're so adamant in the fact that there is nothing, which is contradictory because belief in nothing would just doesn't make it's a cycle of nonsense nihilism uh, in a box for you. Um, yeah, and when the funny Schrodinger's thing is, box. well, Schrodinger, yeah, Schrodinger's box is the cat really there? Is nihilism really there? Is it alive? Um, is it dead? Is it dead? I, don't I don't know. know. Who knows? Uh, but uh, the interesting thing to me is, is like that that same person will be like, well, it's more about the belief in life. And then okay, well now you believe in a humanistic, paganistic uh, like energy source. But from uh, on the side topic, I guess my thing is like there are so many things in society that will continue to come up that we do not know of or that we have speculated that might turn out to be true. That does not disprove something that we have yet to discover. But see, that's, that's the, that's the conundrum. That's a conundrum of theology in general. It's years and years ago. And, and we all have our, our different stories of how we've come to believe what we believe and how stringently we do or do not believe in those things. But, you know, long, long time ago, I, I finally decided because I, I love to question things, love science, mm-hmm. love to question things. I think it's great to have a system of hypotheses where you can then go empirically test things and determine. And there are things today that are literally something that when I was a kid would have been magic. Absolute magic. That's what science is. It is just ways. normal now. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And it'll be that way forever. Yeah. But there's always a final question. How? Why? I mean, how did that come into being in the first place? And we we as human beings are never going to answer that. So the way we answer that is we have to create. Uh, this is this is being said wrong. Probably <laughs> we we have we have to have a belief in something in something bigger than ourselves. It yeah. must be there. If it's not there, why are we here in the first place? Well, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I, I just think that it's an interesting paradox because obviously it seems like we're talking like the American church is failing and I, I don't want to say that it is, but it's, it's not doing well right now. It's not in the dumpster, but it's trending downwards. Um, and I, there's, there's a lot of questions that a lot of people have a lot of questions I have. And obviously I don't think we really have an answer here, but we do have some data to share on that note. Uh, now, according to Pew research, a survey from 2020, about 65% of American adults in the United States identify as Christian with the largest denominations being evangelical Protestants at 25% Catholics at 20% and mainland mainline Protestants at 14.7%. However, the survey also found that a percentage of Americans who identify as Christian has declined over the last decade, while the percentage of those who are unaffiliated with any religion has grown. Additionally, weekly church attendance has also declined with about 36% of Christians reporting that they attend religious services at least once a week. So Uh one in one in three, one in three attend at least once a week. And Uh the question that I've always had is uh, because we can talk about, you know, in the Bible it talks about the, the, um, the, the, the quality of your fruit. Right. And if you're not really doing anything, if you're not really going, if you're not attending, if you're not even talking about it, or at least reading or listening, how can you concern? How can you consider yourself a part of that thing? And I don't mean it as a criticism. I don't mean it as like because obviously a lot of people have pasts in the church and stuff like that. As past as Christian, they're raised in a certain way, but there always has to be a cultivation. Because it's like with uh, it's like going to the gym. I happen to go to the gym a lot. If I have a gym membership and I never go. I can't say that I actively go to the gym. Otherwise, I'm lying to myself. 
And it's nothing, no criticism to anyone. It's just a merely an observation. I feel like a lot of people have that kind of out of sight cognitive dissonance going on of, well, I went for a long time. Well, it's, it's a box to check, right? Yeah. I, I, I've got a gym membership. Yeah. I'm not going to say the rest because then you'll know I'm not going very well. No, often. no, that, well, that's the thing I want to avoid. I'm yeah. not like, I'm not like, I'm not criticizing that. I'm merely I'm providing that alternative opinion. Well, does that make sense? You know, Christian doctrine is, is that, you know, you must believe it does not require works. Correct. That is correct. I mean, but to cultivate, mm-hmm. well, it works will be a byproduct of your faith. Um, I think James covered that pretty well when he says, you know, uh, faith without works is dead. Yes. And, and again, when we look at Christianity, the equation should be faith equals our eternal life then works, right? It's not like a lot of religions that are out there that it's your faith plus works. I think all of the religions require some works first. It would be faith plus works. Isn't that the real differentiator? Yeah, that is the real differentiator. It would be faith plus works then, right? Um, So the works are what gets you there. Mm -hmm. It is a pretty big differentiator, but um, I think it's important to have have works, but it's, it's to show the outward you know, the world well, I, that I think we have to, faith to the wolf's point uh, a second ago, mm-hmm. you know, a lot, a lot of people he's using the gym analogy. A lot mm-hmm. of people will do what I did and get the membership and, you mm-hmm. know, okay. Occasionally I go, I, you know, for Easter Christmas, mm-hmm. right. This mm-hmm. is the kind of philosophy. And they say, yeah, I, I go to church, you know? And so that's why that yeah. Pew research is real interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one in three, and I don't, mm-hmm. it'll be real interesting to hear what other countries are like. Mm hmm. Because one in three seems like a pretty large number still. But then I, I think back to when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I mean, Sunday, everybody mm-hmm. was into it. Now, I grew up in a small town mm-hmm. back in Michigan, actually. Mm-hmm. And so, so there was 7,000 people in that town. And, mm-hmm. you know, 6,999 of them were in church. And yeah. that, that, that's just the way it was. Right. And... and so at now downtown San Diego, where you were talking about mm-hmm. different story altogether. Yeah. Right. I know exactly what you're talking about because mm-hmm. we live not in, not in that area, but, mm-hmm. but near enough to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think there's a, a conflation that goes on between these things, but 33% mm-hmm. going to church is still a big number. The question mm-hmm. is, is, so when these big churches are looking to gather people and get new people in the doors, are they really competing for the unsaved now or are they competing with each other? Great question. Uh, I think maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. I think a little bit of both. Um, I think people are starting to see, and I've had enough conversations to know that it might be attendance one out of what was it? Uh, one out of three. Wolf, one out one of three. So, so they attend one out, a week, that, a week, a right? Week. Yeah. So, Again, I I think people are are noticing more now than ever that going back to the kind of the show, right? Um, when when the when the senior when the lead pastor is kind of the central figure on that day, and and, and you'll notice that it a lot of times it is it is kind of a, about them. The big production and everything leads up to to that person coming out, and. Um, I don't think that, again, I don't want to stroke a, a really broad brush here, but for the, from what I'm noticing is that Christ isn't being the central figure and focus. It, it's once again um, how, the, how well the pastor is 
how animated he is on stage, how well he um, is he a good communicator. I hear that a lot. Oh, he's a great communicator. But at the end of the day, no one's asking, well, does he have proper understanding of theology? Yeah. Right. It's can he communicate? And that happens all the time. Um, so I think people are come they come and they're they're being entertained, but I don't think there's a ton of real growth while Christ is being the central figure of that entire process. Because if he's not the winner at the end of the day, if they if the people leave and go home talking about, well, man, Pastor so and so was on fire today. Mm-hmm. Because again, that just shows me that it's more about how well he spoke, not the conviction that fell upon their hearts as much as it as it should be. Isn't in, that in interesting though, because these these churches they recruit these communicators on purpose. They recruit the communicators without even investigating their theological background. Recently, I, I had a I pastor. Think, go ahead. Know, I, I, no, I, I think you're absolutely right, but I think that the, there's a calculation being, you know, thought about before that happens. Saying, what's the, what's the most important thing here? Holding someone's attention span for 35 minutes, right? While they, te- and, well, while they teach. but but what is? Maybe I'm taking this too far, but mm-hmm. in the background, if if I'm a church and my mission and my goal is to bring people to Christ, and I I'm like, okay, do I get a a, a dry a dry speaker who's going to do a or maybe a fire and brimstone guy that <laughs> that goes back to my <laughs> youth? I know where that was coming from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here so, is the so, snake. Southern Baptist, thank you very <laughs> much. Southern Baptist. Drink this poison. <laughs> Never quite like that, thank, thank goodness. But, but it, you know, is there a calculation being made that says, okay, we know that this person's theology is in the right box, mm-hmm. even if it's not a narrow enough one for us, the really mm-hmm. what do we want? But he communicates so well that he's going to get a, a broader scope of people mm-hmm. to hear a message that may resonate somehow or another. And the, mm-hmm. the other part of this is I think there's a, technology, a technological aspect of this that we're not even thinking about or talking about mm-hmm. that really uh, exposed itself over this pandemic three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I, I mentioned earlier, I, I you know, watched Andy Stanley frequently. Mm-hmm. Never been to his church, mm-hmm. but I watch him frequently. Now, so I'm not in with statistics that I'm going to church, right? but I am watching, I am mm-hmm. learning, I'm listening, I'm trying to apply. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that statistically stacks up against anything either. It's a good question. Yeah. It is a good question. And I think, uh, I think you know, what we should discuss is the unaffiliated. Um, okay. and, and Pew Research, we're going to be harping with Pew a lot today. They did really, they've done a really good job of at least providing a generalized data set that we can Mm -hmm. talk about now according to pew those who are unaffiliated are less likely than the general public as a whole to say that religion is very important in their lives to attend worship services regularly and to pray on a daily basis now interestingly the unaffiliated unaffiliated are not wholly secular pew research reports that substantial portions of the unaffiliated particularly among those who describe their religion as quote unquote nothing in particular say they believe in god or a universal spirit and while 42 percent of the unaffiliated describe themselves as neither a religious nor a spiritual person 18 percent say they are a religious person and 37 percent say they are spiritual but not religious not really sure what that means. Um, seems a little contradictory. Now, there is little evidence to suggest that those who are unaffiliated, as I said a little bit earlier, are seeking a new religion that fits them or that they're in 
embracing New Age spirituality, Eastern religion, or non-Abrahamic faiths. The unaffiliated are about as likely as others in the general public to believe in reincarnation, astrology, and the evil eye. They're also slightly more likely to believe in yoga as a spiritual practice and in spiritual energy located in physical things such as mountains, trees, and mm-hmm. the other other rocks, rocks and crystals. Gaia. Gaia, yes. Um, now, unaffiliated are less likely to say that they belong to a community of people who share their beliefs and values, and they also say it's not very important to them. A major... A majority of them agree that religious organizations strengthen community bonds and play an important role in helping the poor and needy. Most also say that religious organizations are too concerned with money and power, too focused on rules, and too involved in politics. More skeptical than others in the general public of the idea that churches and other houses of worship contribute to solving important social problems. And they are also skeptical skeptical of the notion that religious organizations protect and strengthen morality in society. Both the affiliated and unaffiliated agree that religion is losing influence in society today. The unaffiliated are divided, though, over whether a decline in religion's influence on society is a good or bad thing. It's very interesting. Well, if, if they agree, for the most part, that in the difference between religion and spirituality, at least from my perspective, is organizational. It's, you know, community. Um, you can be very spiritual and be alone, right? And, and I'm not criticizing that at all um but it's to be a part of a religion means there are there's a framework around what is expected of you and what you expect of it that's kind of the way i view it at least so there's a there's a semblance of accountability right i mean at least you think Mm -hmm. because because i agree with you i don't think that there's like an inability to be what would be considered spiritual you know if you don't have a church at the same time that begets the question of what are you worshiping? Because if you don't have someone that's actually guiding you, if you don't have someone that's providing some sort of insight alternative to your own personal bias, then at that point it could well, isn't trend it almost, into a different area. It's almost always idolatry, right? Of some kind or, or paganism. Well, I, I the, the two go kind of hand in hand. I mean, because it, from a, from a secular world standpoint in today's society, if, if you don't put God or, or your, form of of your belief system at the head of your uh you know your worship then you're worshiping something else that's out here that's in the secular world and isn't that isn't that really idolatry i think in a lot of ways yeah yeah, yeah i think mm-hmm. that it's yeah, it's just interesting i mean what, what are your thoughts on that singer well well going back to what you said about those who are unaffiliated right mm-hmm. Uh, was there a percentage in there? I can't remember uh, if there was any of, of believe, those who are unaffiliated. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter too much. I think that what those who are unaffiliated would still say that they are kind of a spiritual in some way, right? Yeah, they, the they unaffiliated. Yeah, I think seventy-one percent said they they're, they're not religious, religion, nothing in particular, but right. they, yeah. that they are. Yeah. So in a sense, they're kind of creating their own affiliation, right? So they're affiliated with something, and I think it goes back to what we've been saying that. Inward, inward man is seeking to fill that emptiness with something, right? So if they're not going to turn to religion, they're turning to themselves, which is either they're going to look at their own inward spirituality or it's going to be energy. It's going to be more that Eastern yeah. uh, religious, well, Eastern New mis- Age, New Age, mystical yeah. kind of concepts. Um, and so it's kind of created its own religion, its own respect, because I mean, Hollywood, I think, has had a huge impact on that on that 
a quote unquote non-affiliated affiliated <laughs> group of people. Um, but again, it goes back to, well, what is, what is truth then? Yeah. Is the big question. Uh, because if there's, if there's not an, a truth or an absolute truth, right, then we can just go on throughout our day. Just everyone, just you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. I'm going to be tolerant towards whatever you believe and you be tolerant to what I believe. And, and we can all just kind of get along and just go and the church will continue to be on a decline if we take that perspective. Um, but I think it's important that we do take a stand on certain things. And I think that we can um, with, well, what is truth and ask that big question when it comes to the non-affiliated. Yeah. yeah. You know, I yeah. think it's interesting because you can still have the ability to be tolerant of others' points of view. Totally. Certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And still, um, you know, create a conversation around what you believe the truth should be. Yeah. Based on, you know, your set of, of uh, beliefs. Yeah. So I, it, it's a, it's kind of a difficult subject to, to talk to about people, but that, isn't that what it's supposed to be about, you know? I, I think so, and I think if we invited a bunch of other people in this room here today for this podcast, whether if they were a spiritual person, uh, if they were you know Muslim or, or Hindu or Buddhist, I, I think that our approach that we present would allow us to all have an open dialogue, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's happening enough as well. Mm-mm. Um, because we kind of have a tendency to have our own dogmas and, and approach those in, in a harsh way. Uh, but to your point, I think that we should be able to still all sit down and have a conversation um, with those with different beliefs, even if it's, you know, the, the conversation of homosexuality or mm-hmm. a lot of things, transgender, and a lot of the things that we're facing today. We do need to sit down and have a conversation, um, an open conversation and find those individuals that are willing to have those conversations yeah. um, and, and hear people out. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, also, I think from, from my perspective, not, not to like cower to, to those things and just be tolerant and let them go and, and do whatever they want to do. But have the conversations on why we believe on what we believe, and here's the reasons why. Well, I think it's, a, and I guess the big the big point of the discussion today is to really talk about this being a, a deeper problem than just the you know the Christian Church having issues. Because right. I mean, everything's interconnected. I've said this multiple times. Like it's the failure of a major religious doctrine or ideology within a society is indicative of cultural and social decay. And it doesn't mean that, you know, that continues. It doesn't mean that we are on a one track path that we can't get off of. It just means that in having those open conversations, just because I don't agree with what you say, it it doesn't mean that we can't coexist and we can't unilaterally compromise on our beliefs to make the society we all live in and all experience by product or by proxy a better place. I think these things go in, you know, short and long cycles, depending on, you know, your viewpoint on certain things, but you know, the decay and growth cycle. And a lot of it is, is dependent on, well, two things you mentioned a second ago about, you know, there is a truth, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of the way I believe. I said, I think I said it earlier. There's like these pillars out there that through, as you age and you develop an understanding of life and different aspects of it, you start to see that these things generationally or not are rocks. They are the same, no matter what, these are truths you can pin mm-hmm. your life on. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody has their quote unquote own truth these days. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of part of the challenge. Yeah. Cause if you're to butt up against somebody else's own truth, then you're interfering with their truth. space. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. 
And that's the whole point of finding somebody or people that are willing to have dialogues. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm more than happy to tell somebody they're wrong, but I won't say it like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And they, they might be more than happy to tell me I'm wrong and I'm okay mm-hmm. with that too. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes there's a compromise of our ability to walk away and still like each other and all those kinds of things. Well, I've, I've always found that people who utilize coined terms like uh, my truth are just saying the same thing that people who have hyper-religious dogmas are saying. They're unwilling to discuss. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the reason I say that is not because I want to attack those individuals. They, they can live their life, live how you want to in the most part. I'm not here to control that. What I am here to at least present is that if you're unwilling to be open to alternative opinion and alternative dialogue and to at least listen to it, then you yourself, in my opinion, don't really believe what you believe. That's my position. If, if you need some sort of outward validation from other people to confirm what you believe, do you really believe it? And to your point, Wolf, think about this, though. I mean, think of the position that they're actually in. Um, I think a lot of times they the open dialogue is not there because it's they and I hate to be, sound harsh here, but they don't really have a leg to stand on. It, in some instances, right, yeah. In some instances, instances, because, you know, when you look at, uh, just and from my own faith, looking at Christianity as a whole, I can look at, I can look at history, um, I can look at archaeology, mm. I can look at theology, I can look at linguistics, uh, I can look at prophecy, mm-hmm. um, and I can look at all of these things and see how they line up and they line up pretty amazingly right yeah. um and then you add faith to that and, and so it's faith with a bunch of substance behind it right and, and i think so when we talk about truth we can i can back up my truth mm-hmm. right um to a lot of those things i just mentioned and and so and it kind of stacks up upon uh, on top of each other yeah um, and then you add the Bible, right? I didn't mention that yet because the Bible lines up with the ling- linguistic uh, stuff. It lines up with the archaeological stuff. You can go and visit visit these historical archaeological places that are mentioned in the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and they continue to find and discover these things every single year. They're finding more and more things that line up with the Bible historically. And I find that very significant because – when you look at other religions that are out there, unfortunately, they're unable to do that. They really are. It's really challenging for them to line up all of these different things together. Um, and so I think it makes it, for the individual who's disenfranchised or, or not affiliated, I should say, hard to have those conversations because what, what's the substance behind their belief? Yeah, It's just going to turn back to this inward, well, because I believe in the stone or the, or the tree or the ocean or the, the energy, and I don't have, what, what do I say to that? I mean, that's, I can't, there's not much to talk about at the it's end of the day. It's very anecdotal. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. I, I can't remember. Maybe it was Lee Strobel. There mm-hmm. was, there was a very famous uh, guy that wanted to research. It, it, I think the book is called Case for Christ. Yeah. Is that Lee, Lee Strobel? That's Lee Strobel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, this, yeah, his, his doctoral thesis was to try to disprove Christ. Right. And he ended up writing a book, The Case mm-hmm. for Christ. And it's it's it lines up with the kind of things you're talking about because there are so many tangible things to back up your quote unquote argument. Forget mm-hmm. the religious part about it a second. It just comes down to to having a debate, right? 
And if other people don't have something to back up their debate, you know what ends up happening? They get loud mm-hmm. or offended. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the life we live in now. And it's when I was talking about things that cycle through, I think part of the, the issue today is that in, the, in North America in particular, we can talk about a lot of the negative things that happen and the, the uh, people on the streets and mm-hmm. the cross borders, all the lot of different stuff we could talk about mm-hmm. that is negative. But in comparison to ma- the majority of the world population, we are extremely blessed. Yeah. And I, I always go back to this. You've heard me make this argument before. When, when things are good, our minds have too much time to create all this other periphery stuff. And when things aren't good, you know what ends up happening? Those go away. We go to the base level things. We start mm-hmm. creating those tribes and those communities. And we get back to the things that, that for thousands of years have guided us to the place we are today. Yeah. And it's like this vicious cycle. We have to go through the the, the rinse cycle all the time, and mm-hmm. you know, ruin these structures to to kind of clean them out again and reestablish something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I feel we're at. Well, I think so. I mm-hmm. think specifically from a first world perspective, I would agree with you. Yeah. I think when it comes to second and third world, and this is something I find to be very interesting. Um, and this is maybe like a side adjacent point, but a lot of the stuff happening here in America and first world countries is from at least a theological perspective, not really happening in those other countries, like Middle East, for example. Like a lot of the discussions that we have about these, I don't want to say they're not important because they are. They're important mm-hmm. to the individuals that are part of them. And to be very crystal clear about this, we are merely having an objective conversation. We're not saying that your way of life is any different or any worse or better than ours. We're merely pointing out that some of the problems within first world countries have yet to exist in other countries. And if I were to go into the Middle East and say some of the things that we discuss openly here, it wouldn't work out for me very well. And that doesn't mean that those things aren't important. That doesn't mean those things might not happen within second and third world countries. The question I have is why in particular is it happening to such a high degree here? Because other countries, even if they're third world or second world, I mean, if you look at Africa, for example, people have this, at least from my third-party observation, there's a lot of misunderstanding of how advanced a lot of Africa is currently. Even though there's a lot of poverty, there's some massive, massive cities, same with China. And they're not having the same issues, at least seemingly, when it comes to like this meism and this... Um, well, the, they've got other sets of issues that, that take priority. That's yeah. my whole point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- think about, there are places all over the world where in this this was i don't know maybe 7 or 8 years ago where uh somewhere in the middle east there was a whole bunch of christian oh i wish i could remember the the it, it was somewhere in in iraq i think mm. a whole bunch of christians were killed and, and but you know what they said yeah we're christians we're part of this group this is our belief system this is and that happens all over the world with different religions. I'm not even talking about it happens this Christianity. all over with different people. I mean, you can look Correct. at the Shiites and the Sunni. I mean, but, it's- but my my point is is that when when you're when you're concerned about getting enough rice to feed your family, mm-hmm. or you're concerned about hey, can I get my kids somehow out of this caste system in India, or or you know. Are we going to be able to survive the next tsunami that comes or whatever we want to talk about out there? 
the the idea of worrying about um, converting to electric vehicles or um, whether we should call each other their sheep or if or I'm a cat or whatever, none of that stuff, it's laughable. Yeah. It's only not laughable here where we have the time mm-hmm. and the energy and the and, and that we're blessed enough, and I'm using the word blessed on purpose, to allow us to think through this stuff and be as crazy as we want to be. That doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I'm not trying to do a value judgment here. But we started at the very beginning of this conversation talking about community. And I don't care whether we're talking about religions or governmental things locally or clubs or little cities that used to do things together or whatever we want to. The missing element today, in my opinion, is the lack of sturdy communities that support each other. And the number one kind of community that supported this entire country from its inception from Philadelphia on was religious communities. Yeah. That's what's missing. Yeah. Well, I think it was also the importance of recognizing, um, just how every personally, in my opinion, how everything was interconnected at that point in time. I think technology has done a really good job of making things so <laughs> conflated from a usage perspective. I mean, like you can, you can look at like, <laughs> like outdoorsmanship and stuff like that. We talked about this a few episodes ago, being able to go watch a video to teach you how to do that. Yeah. Take away all the technology. And a lot of us are just fish out of water mm-hmm. in like almost every area. And I feel like that, that kind of has been lost. And, I think we should talk a little bit more. Um, we, we've touched on like new ageism, but I do think that it would be interesting to dive into maybe how that's permeated within the Christian church in America, specifically over the last maybe decade or so. Um, now with most adults still identifying as Christian, again, another research subject from Pew in 2018 uh, indicated that roughly six in 10 American adults accept at least one of the following new age beliefs. Uh, 33%. Of that six and ten, except reincarnation. Twenty nine percent of that six and ten, except astrology, and then forty percent except either physics or like the physical, like spiritual entity. Like so, say for example, this cup has spiritual energy, or the spiritual energy in objects like mountains or trees. So like mm-hmm. nature mm-hmm. energy, which is interesting. Um, now this is also reflected in many Americans who are religiously unaffiliated and alarmingly, they both were very similar across the spectrum there. If you weren't affiliated with a religion, you still had the same affinity to believing some of these new age and uh, ideologies. Now, new age I- uh, beliefs are not particularly replacing Christianity or, uh, you know, heavily traditional forms of religion, but eight in 10 Christians also say at the same time that they believe in God as described in the Bible yet six in 10 believe in one or more of the aforementioned new age beliefs, mm. which is kind of contradictory, right? Cause you can't serve two gods. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's very contradictory. Um, I think it's unfortunate. I think the weight of that falls on the shoulders of the church. Mm. I really do. I think that the, the spiritual leaders of the local church need to know and understand the spiritual pulse of their church. And if they knew statistics like the one you just pulled out right there, I think there would be an ongoing effort to um, teach strong biblical truths against those Eastern thoughts, right? Uh, New age thoughts. But again, it's not, I don't, I don't see it happening um, as much as I would like to see it happening. 
you know, this was such a burden on my heart when I was in San Diego working for um, one of the, well, at the time it was the largest church in San Diego. And I just, I saw a lot of, a lot of programs happening. I saw a lot of people coming through the doors, but so lots of growth, but not a lot of what I see is discipleship, spiritual growth. And so a mentor of mine and myself, we decided, well, let's, let's put together a discipleship track. And that turned into a, a two-year commitment from individuals that would, would come in and uh, for two years, for two hours every single Sunday. And it wasn't just about class time. It was about giving them the opportunities to experience God through serving. And it was some, some areas that they would be stretched quite heavily in those opportunities. Um, and I could go on and tell you what those were, but I mean, it was just incredible the opportunities that they were given through those experiences. So it was coupled with the information, but then transformation at the same time. And it was just a lot of fun, uh, uh, exciting for us and to see the change in people's lives. But the, those types of questions that you brought to the table right now about the new age stuff, we discussed in great detail. Because it was, it's what's what we're faced with today and the right now, mm-hmm. as you pull out the statistic, and and we talked about all of those things on a regular basis, and it was, it was, it was incredible to see the transformation that took place, and and as that church continued to grow, thankfully those individuals were discipled from within for those couple of years, and they took on some of the major on staff positions uh, for that local church moving forward. Um, but again, they were being raised up right in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's unfortunate that we're... Do you think a lot of these churches really don't know these stats, though? I don't... Because I think they do. And I, I think it's... I don't know. I, I, I don't think they do. I see, I would I, disagree. I don't know if they're looking into these kinds of things. Um, I, because, again, they're looking at statistics on how do we or how can we bring more people in on a weekend service. Mm-hmm. That's Correct. what they're looking at, but those if, strategies if, and If things. you heard some of the statistics that wolf just presented and said okay these people believe you know that that um god is as our view in jesus christ existed and, and exists and all but we also believe that there's a spiritual energy out there i you know maybe i'm being pessimistic about this but i think that open door policy that we talked about earlier in this in this conversation comes into play when making the decision because they can they can put a wall up and say hey our doctrine says if you believe this, we don't want you in here. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not what they would say, right? But but instead of that, they just say no, come one, come all, mm-hmm. because their hope is that they're going to change minds a little bit at a time. Yeah. What ends up happening is that they dilute the pool. Yeah, right. Well, and then that results in very confusing conversations that I have personally had with people who profess to be Christian but also believe in the horoscope. And right. there's nothing innately wrong with believing those things it's always fun to talk about that stuff like oh i'm an aries like it's always fun but from my perspective i've always seen it as like that is contrarian to an actual rigid belief system it's like uh it's like it's like trying to um it's like trying to uh it's like trying to hit an educational goal while also listening to everything that talks about how education is completely and totally wrong and you shouldn't engage in it well i don't think it's it's contrarian to a to the um, it's contrarian to doctrine. It's not contrarian to the development of community. No, and well, and well I, I, mm, so I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, com- communities are based on you know it's a Venn diagram, right? You know, you got all these different belief systems, and where all those belief systems or those 
individual beliefs cross on the, on all those bubbles is is that's your that's your core belief system as this larger community and you can grow that by indoctrinating people in further in growing that core yeah but that's what i'm talking about by diluting the pool I, i'm i'm saying that you can constrict the number of beliefs you put into a community or you cannot do that but if you don't do that then the core belief system is going to be diluted further and further and yeah, further it, to that point i think it gets really watered down right? yeah. when you when you look at the church as a whole just go back 50 years maybe even 40 years you know you'd go to a lot of churches had sunday school right mm-hmm. you'd go to you would go to discipleship school before church even started and then someone had the great idea well let's not do sunday school anymore cuz people their attention spans not long enough to go through a 2 hour class then listen to the preacher for an hour and a half let's go to home groups home home bible studies and there was a shift from sunday school to home bible studies and it was good as it got started because it was the same people teaching sunday school were was teaching those midweek home groups mm-hmm. so these were theologically trained individuals who could still bring uh, the Word of God in such a way uh, for discipleship growth. But then what's happened is it's become more and more watered down, where I remember sitting in rooms discussing, well, we need to grow home groups. And as as long as you have someone with a pulse who can pop in a, a DVD in the DVD player, yeah, uh, that's all we need. Yeah, that doesn't Be- work. And it doesn't work. No. And so it's become so watered down. So in the midst of all of that, you have the seeker-friendly situation more people in the front door who bring in all these, you know, mystical new age thought processes, we bring them in. And then now we're allowing those same people pop in the DVD. Yeah. Because again, it goes back. There's no, there's no formal theological, you know, training. I mean, this dates back even further and wow. I'll geek out with you just for a second. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, let's go. No, I mean, why? Cause, cause my question, follow up, my question, follow up is like, why, why now? Cause we can talk about technology being an impact and I, I and I think it is, but why is it that, because we talk about 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it seems like a lot of stuff's coming to a head. So why yeah. particularly in this instance, has there been such a, I don't want to say failure, but a, a stagnant approach to, to this type of scenario that people should have been aware of for a long time? You know, it's, it's always going to be a very slow process. Mm-hmm in the decline of any civilization, right? It's going to be very, very slow. Most people will just kind of overlook it. Again, going back to the first world, what we fill our minds with, with that empty space and time, uh, you know, I I fill a lot of my empty space and time with looking at the next awesome car I can buy. (laughs) You know, I'll be honest, you know, so there's a real first world problem for me. Um, But so, Again, we don't really recognize it. It's kind of like the frog in the in the boiling water oh, yeah. effect, mm. right? Yeah. I mean, to go back to geeking out with you guys, I mean, you go back to, um, it's called Scottish common sense realism. That was right around the 1600s, uh, early 1700s. That was over in Scotland, parts of Europe that crept into the local church there, which was that we don't need theologically trained people in pulpits because we can kind of come as re- just read the Bible and kind of come to our own common sense uh, conclusions. And then once the United States was being colonized, that same thought process was brought over here. And you look at the 1800s, 
you look at there's a lot of religions that got started in 1800s because they brought that thought process over. So then it was just about the idea that anyone with charisma, right, who could who could be charismatic enough to bring in a crowd of individuals, they didn't have to be theologically trained. Just have charisma. Just just bring you know fill up the doors, fill up the sanctuaries with people. Didn't matter the theology. Just is that person entertaining or, or charismatic enough for me to listen to them for a particular period of time? They brought in all kinds of crazy thought processes, but it all goes back to that common sense realism, and we stop filling pulpits uh, and 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 um, universities with theologically, theologically trained people. I mean, look at uh, all these major schools, Harvard and all the rest of them. We're all they're all seminaries at one particular time throughout throughout um, you know mm-hmm. uh, United in the history of the United States. Mm-hmm. But now they're not. I mean, they're just as as Eastern New Sector, Age thought process more. brought in all those. Yeah. They used to be all seminaries, theologically training individuals. But now anybody can fill pulpits. Now anybody can do it. Um, and I don't know why I went on that tangent, but nonetheless, I think it. It's I think a, it ties together somehow. No, it's a very know. good point, and I, and it. I think it also. It also makes a a, a real good note that this is not endemic to right now it's it, this I don't is think something it is. that's been ongoing since for 2000 years for, for a long time and even yeah. beyond that for beyond that so <clears throat> so this is well it's, it's it goes well, go back yeah. well it, it all all the examples throughout the the bible from the very beginning it started with adam and eve mm-hmm. and it was a it was a decline over time right and then their children and then it was Moses in the wilderness, and then it was the golden calf. It was it was over time you continue to slip away from truth, and you beca- you start thinking of your own truth and creating your own gods. It goes back to your point that you said earlier, bull about idolatry. It, it, again, it's the same issue, just circulating, just going over and over. It's almost and over like again. human nature, simulated. It's almost like a simulation. <laughs> it's a simulation. We're all trapped in it. Right, right. If we're right. in a simulation, narrative. Where's, where's, I, I think if we're in a where's simulation, the then you, yeah, then right. You have to believe about. You have to believe God anyway. It doesn't matter if we're well, in a simulation it, or not. Yeah, yeah. It's just that's it, very interesting. And uh, Stingray, we should definitely at another time. We should definitely talk about. It. I think that'd be a really interesting episode. It's talking about the maybe the recurring decline, the nature of, of that type of because I've never heard of that. Never heard of that was a Scottish, Scottish common sense, common sense, common sense realism. Yeah, that that's that's actually Scottish real. common sense realism. <laughs> um, Freedom. I, 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 love, I love the Scottish people, but common sense was not an affiliate. Whoa, 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 whoa. That is a very bigoted <laughs> Irish statement. I'm an Irish there. boy, so be careful. Yeah, what I'm going to visit Scotland soon. And not I much do like sense. We have <laughs> listeners in Scotland. <laughs> we actually do. We do. Be nice effect. to them. Um, yeah, well, I don't know. I just, it's just so just so interesting to me. Um, let's, let's, let's wrap up on the, the American megachurch. Let's talk mm, about that. The mega. So for a final segment, we're going to talk about the American megachurch. According to data from the Hartford Institute's database, there are approximately 50 churches in the United States that have attendance ranging from 10,000 to 47,000 people every week in 2010. Now, that obviously might be subject to change since it's been a little bit. But the same source also lists more than 1,300 Protestant and evangelical churches in the United States with a weekly attendance of more than 2,000, which meets the megachurch requirement, which up until this point I was unaware of. Um, Stingray, what are your thoughts on the general nature of megachurches? Oh, the general nature. Mm. Um, well, it, it goes back to kind of what Bull was saying earlier. I think it's, there's, there's, it's a, a lot of it's a business. 
a lot of it is a business. I mean, there's millions of dollars yeah. <laughs> uh, coming through these large churches. <laughs> and millions. <laughs> there's millions of dollars. And again, I've been in meetings where uh, that's, that's heavily discussed, you know, how to get more money in, more people in, and, and, and all of that. And I'm always waving the banner of discipleship, you know, in those meetings. But um, mega church, I think, I think it's just going to be a matter of time that the mega church will become less and less um, a thing. Because, again, when you have a huge wide open door inviting in the new here, start here, providing a nice parking space for them, right? You just cater everything to them. You're sending them gifts in the mail because they came for the first time. And if you don't have a systematic plan for growing them spiritually, then the back door is going to be just as wide. The church that I was a part of for nine years in San Diego, uh, in its heyday, had about 14,000 people. So so a, a mega church. Yeah. That's small in some cases in comparison to other churches, but now I think they're about uh, three to five thousand. And uh, again, I think it was just in that in that process. I've watched it over time. Um, is the decline of the intentionality of growing people spiritually? Uh, and, and so again, I think that in the next ten years, fifteen, maybe twenty. If we're all still here, <laughs> um, we're going to see that there's going to be less and less important. Um, yeah, I, I think you know. these things are driven so much by the charisma and the personality of the people at the top. It's unbelievable. I, yeah. I uh, belonged for a while. I can't remember the name of the church. And I think I know the church you're talking about, I by do. the way. Yep. But uh, um, I, I belonged to a small church up in Scripps, mm-hmm. and the leader was an ex-con, mm-hmm. Barry Minkow was his name, Z-Best uh, he was the youngest entrepreneur at one time. Was it The Rock? No. Oh, okay. No. no. He was the youngest entrepreneur at one time to, to I think, go public or something like that with a, a cleaning business, cleaning mm-hmm. and restoration business, and it was all fraudulent, and there was a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Went to jail. A Jewish guy converted in jail, became the head pastor of the church that I was in, and I got to know him real well. Yeah. Uh, and he was very, very good at debate. He used to he used to get on stage against uh, uh, is it Richard Shermer, is the 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 uh, atheist, uh, a very famous guy that. Any, anyway, he used to do all these. Bottom line is that he and his right hand person were doing some. Shady stuff at the church. I remember all of this. Yeah, I know very, very familiar who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. And uh, matter of fact, I think we've got video of your wife up on stage as a little girl singing to the, with the choir and everything mm-hmm. up on that. But, mm. but, uh, and then of course he got caught on a hot mic later because he was part of a, a real, uh, you know, a, a cable show of some kind with the FBI and looking for white collar criminals and mm-hmm. got on a hype, hot mic saying, oh yeah, I'm, I'm fooling them all right now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my point of bringing that up is not to bring up a funny story, though it is <laughs> funny in a lot of ways now. Uh, the point is, is that people end up in today's society, especially with the way we disseminate information on social media, etc. They'll hang their hat on every single thing they can, without remembering what the wolf said earlier that these are people. Yeah. The good and the bad in all these organizations doesn't mean the organization is bad. Mm-hmm. But there are good and bad people in all these things, and it can it can give someone like me or anyone else an excuse to mm-hmm. to vilify the entire 
yeah scene and and i and i think i'm right there right now and unfortunately i'm just kind of jaded it's probably mm-hmm. come out in this podcast to be honest i think you hit it somebody hit it when they said they these mega churches are built on a personality mm-hmm. there's a big difference of building a church on a personality than it is the person and the work of jesus christ it's a big difference um and i you know there's so much stock in that individual <laughs> that's up there every single week because they have positioned themselves as the central figure. Unfortunately, whether it's intentional or not, um, people really idolize those individuals up on that stage. I mean, think about it. And when you look at the world, um, celebrities, and you look at all these different Grammys and Academy Awards, it's about the stage. Mm -hmm. And we've done the same thing in the local church where it's about the stage and the stage continues to get bigger and bigger for that leader to walk up and down the bigger and bigger stage where it's a larger, larger worship set in it. And it, and the more personality and charisma that person has, the more people they will attract. And I don't think we're attracting them with the person and work of Christ. And again, I I know that's a big broad brush once again, but I feel that very strongly in in my own personal spiritual walk with the Lord. And, um, that's why I go back and saying I think that the the mega church is going to be on a decline. And, and when you look at Arizona, where we're from, the churches around here are absolutely thriving, it, it, from what I can tell. And they're all the same kind of cookie cutter, copy and paste churches. Mm. They're they're all pretty much the same. Big churches, a lot of multi sites where you project a pastor up on the on the screen, which again goes back to another point where if you if you do multi sites. And you're already at a mega church level. Let's say you're at 5,000. And then you plant another one and it's a multi-site where you're projecting the pastor up on the screen. There's no, there's no succession plan in that. Think about that. If that one individual ends up tragically getting a disease or, or dying, what happens to all of those people, all the sheeple that go there, mm-hmm. when it's always projected with that same individual on all these screens across the county? I, I, I look at that and I go... And it goes back to discipleship, because if you're actually in the process of raising up through the personal work of Christ in the local church, then each one of those multi-sites should have their own pastor or pastors in the plurality leading those churches. Why do we have just that one single person there? Again, if we continue down this path and that model, um, look what happened to Mark Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill in Seattle, Mm -hmm. right? They were doing the multi-site stuff and... And as soon as Mark Driscoll and all of that came out, you know, that whole church folded, absolutely folded. Look at um, uh, Brian Houston and Hillsong, right, yeah. with his recent, um, you know, situation that, that just came out. Yeah. Uh, again, Hillsong will be a thing of the past. People yeah. are already, their affiliation, they're already changing the name from Hillsong to something else. Um, which, which, by by the way, I mean, because uh, I, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying, because I've witnessed this as well mm-hmm. in my time, because I would consider myself in the same place. Like, I, I still have the same beliefs, but I have yet to find an actual place where it seems as if the people within that church wholeheartedly care about the fruit that their yeah. their flock have. If that I've, makes sense, it does make perfect sense. And I and I've been on the hunt here locally to find a church to attend. Um, and I and I found one and and was attending, checking it out before I brought the family. Mm. So I wanted to go and listen and hear 
uh, to what the pastors were saying and um, sat there after church a couple times and, and talked to a few of the elders and talked to them and and all of that. And then I watched a few times online, really enjoyed it. And there was one sermon where I just was left there going, man, I'm heavily convicted. Mm. Like I'm not attending church every single week with my family. Now, whether or not that's just um, guilt, yeah. right? Uh, because I, you know, when you start going to church, you, you bring your family with you every week and it becomes kind of like a, a social thing with the family. You go out to lunch or, or breakfast afterward, right? It just becomes an event. Um, but I really wanted to go. So I, there was a form online and I, and I filled out the form, um, right for your, for the next steps. Yeah. And I filled out the form and I actually poured out my heart, um, of a a lot of things that I was dealing with, how I feel jaded, um, how I feel left alone, you know, in a lot of, um, aspects to my walk with the Lord because I've resigned from three positions at three churches. I was never fired, never let go, but I've resigned. I call myself a serial resigner. <laughs> um, I, I'm very high on, on justice. And so when I see things that I don't seem doesn't align up with my theological beliefs, I'll just say, uh, it's time for me to go. But I fill out this form and I put all this information in there and um, never heard back from them. Hmm. And I specifically asked for a pastor and specifically said, I need counseling. Uh, and I need to speak with a pastor who can who can relate to possibly some of the things I'm going through. Never heard back from anybody, but I tell you what, I do hear from them every single week because I'm on their mailing list, right? And and I and I've been in those in those situations and scenarios where that form's filled out, it's gone into a database, and then it's left on the pastor's desk for follow up, but he doesn't follow up most of the time. Now that doesn't again. That's yeah, not every pastor right, that's out right. there because my mentor Mickey Stonier, uh, who I got my start in ministry along his side in in, in ministry, uh, he taught me that you don't leave a single email in your inbox. Mm-mm. You read it and you respond, and you respond within twenty four hours, because that's the very beginning of discipleship. How you care for people and your attentiveness to them is the first step of discipleship. And you don't let it sit in your inbox for longer than 24 hours. You respond as quickly and as swiftly as you possibly can because this is what we're called to do, which is to serve and to lay your life down for others. And if it can't start with an email inbox, it's not going to transcend in the rest of your life. And so um, I will admit that I'm not attending that church right now. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, it's because that's kind of where I'm at. You know, again, it just goes back and it just opened up the wound even deeper. Well, and I think that that's that's kind of the... That's the the struggle that I have because it being involved for as long as I was and behind the scenes as well. Like I got a lot of cultivation, I got a lot of understanding of the process of yes, this is also a business, but also like I knew what the pastor was going to talk about that week. Like I knew his message. We talked about it like maybe a week or two or three in advance, mm-hmm. and you go to that stage of like it's like a it's and I'll use fitness again because it's a good it's a good uh, a good thing to use. You're going to hit a plateau eventually. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. Yeah. And some people start taking Tren, which is steroids or a variation. You shouldn't do that. Um, not recommending that. But eventually you hit a plateau. And how to get past that plateau, you might not go up in weight, 
but you can deviate and create a more complex version of what you're already doing to give you some variation. And I feel and think personally that right now, I don't know if it's lack of education or, or I would agree it's lack of discipleship, but there's just like this general inability to provide anything more than an initial first bite when it comes to theology. And I, I get where you're coming from with that mm-hmm. because I've had that happen to me as well. And it's like, well, if you guys are rebranding all the time, constantly changing your brand, say Hillsong becomes a, you know, hill hill him (laughs) or something um then you're you're not really caring about all the individuals who have been absolutely and completely and totally jaded by what your leadership accidentally or intentionally did Mm -hmm. which leaves a large group of people who are unaffiliated because i Mm -hmm. think back to your point you're saying these churches are we're fighting for people the one and three no i don't think so i think they're fighting for the if i remember correctly the eight and ten who consider themselves or seven and 10 who consider themselves unaffiliated and they're not doing a very good job of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, uh, it's, it's kind of like one of those things, one of those episodes where it's like, maybe well, there's further discussion to be had, but it's, well, I think the answer is you got to have faith. Yeah. One way or another, you got to have faith mm-hmm. because there's, you go through this life. We have a limited time here mm-hmm. and there are, I don't care whether you're in the first world, second world, third world, there are holes in your existence. Mm-hmm. And one way or another, human beings are going to fill those holes. Yeah. And what we suggest is that you take a leap of faith and fill it with something that that does some good for yourself and those around you and helps create or recreate a community that that forwards the forwards what's important to you. That's good. Stingray, any any final thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. Uh, I, I, I for me uh, to to your listeners, you know, and mean no disrespect. I, I would fill it with Jesus. I would fill it with Jesus Christ. Um, if there's any hole there, um, you're you're searching for something uh, out there, and you're confused to what that might be. Um, do your due diligence to go and and do some research. Uh, look, start looking. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I remember reading my Bible and I couldn't put it down. And but I was confused a lot of the time, you know, because I started in the Old Testament because I thought that's where you start when you read a book. You start from the first page one, right? So I'm just reading through, reading through, and I and I went to my dad and I said, I love I love this, but it's kind of confusing, you know. I can't put it down. He says he gave me an. Um, uh, illustrated manners and customs of the Bible in a Haley's Bible handbook. And he says, son, just take these and, and read these alongside of your Bible. And I remember as soon as I would come across any questions or anything, there was the illustrated manners and customs of the Bible, which was all the historical aspects, the the archaeological things, and Haley's Bible handbook that did the same thing. And I just remember going, wow, all of history that we know of can be answered through the Bible, but then you have these archaeologists and theologians and scholars and the rest of them who have done such a, a due diligence in studying these subject matters that can um, align all these things together. And it just built up my faith. So I would encourage people to go and investigate and look for themselves. Mm. You know, um, don't just take the pastor's word for it, right? That's up on the big stage or the person who you hear on television because they're, 
A lot of them are charlatans, to be honest. Uh, be careful of those guys on TV. But um, go and investigate and look into it. Because um, I think you'll find, you'll be surprised on what you find that's out there. That's good. Well, I think that wraps up this episode. Stingray, Sean, a.k.a. <laughs> I'm just going to refer to you as Stingray going forward. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, um, Yeah, no, it's it's really a good one. A lot of... Uh, a lot of food for thought, I think, for us as well mm -hmm. as uh, as our, our listeners and viewers. And to our listeners and viewers, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, if you happen to like our content, you can find us at the Wolf and Bowl at Instagram. Um, you can or on Instagram. You can also find us on YouTube. I did not ask for a subscription, and there is a reason for that. Uh, we want you to feel happy with what you just listened to or witnessed. So if you happen to enjoy the conversation, if you want to hear more conversations with wonderful individuals such as Sean or the Stingray or future guests, who knows, maybe you might be one, um, then go ahead and give us a subscription. Go ahead and give us a like, a follow on Instagram. would be greatly appreciated. We have new episodes every week on Thursday for audio and on Friday for video. But thank you again, and we will catch you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Wolf and Bull podcast. Our team here at the Wolf and Bull and Damore Media are so happy you spent some time with us. If you liked this episode, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A review will help grow our show and we'd love for you to be a part of our family. If you'd like more content from the Wolf and Bull, you can find it at our Instagram at the Wolf and Bull and on YouTube and Rumble via the Wolf and Bull. Thank you again and we'll see you next week.